to our ICT4D podcast series on Digital Tech for Peace. I'm your host, Sonja Rützel at CRS. Today, we will explore the important topic of combating hate speech and online violence. It's my great pleasure to welcome our expert guest, Mrs. Alice Nidericho, the Special Advisor of the Secretary General on the Prevention of Genocide at the United Nations. Mrs. Nidorito is a recognized voice in the field of peacebuilding and violence prevention. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Soja, for having me. In June this year, we had our first International Day for Countering Hate Speech, and it really highlighted the importance of this global threat. Mrs. Nidorito, to get us acquainted with the topic, could you please tell us more about your role or mandate at the UN and what hate speech actually means? I have a specific mandate that's been given to me by the Security Council, which is to collect and analyze information, to act as an early warning within the United Nations system, to make recommendations to the Secretary General and to the Security Council, and therefore to work to strengthen the, the collective capacity of the United Nations to prevent genocide. So we have a methodological tool that we use of analysis. It's called the Framework of Analysis for Atrocity Crimes. And it relates not only to genocide, but also to related crimes such as war crimes, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity. So this framework of analysis, it sets out risk factors and indicators as, as pointers to early warnings. So when I am briefing the Secretary General or the Security Council, it's usually not enough to provide warnings, but I also spell out specific actions that can be taken to protect populations. And so before I get to his speech, let me just say that uh, the mandate that I hold is as important for what it says as for what it does not say. So, for example, it does not equip me with the prerogative of determining whether genocide, war crimes or crimes against humanity have been committed, because this one only a competent, independent court of justice can determine. However, accountability is central to my mandate, especially in situations where there are serious allegations of commission of atrocity crimes. Getting to hate speech, my office is the UN focal point on hate speech. What my office does is provide leadership in the implementation of the United Nations strategy and plan of action on hate speech. It's a very groundbreaking document because it addresses hate speech, especially from the perspective of hate speech being a risk of atrocity crimes such as genocide. And if I may get a little bit into it, hate speech is the predominant factor that's present in all these crimes of atrocity crimes that we've seen. If you look at the Holocaust, you'll see how much hate speech featured. If you look at Rwanda, you see the extent that hate speech featured. If you look at Srebrenica, you see the extent of, of the way hate speech featured. And much of this has to do with the fact that hate speech is used to dehumanize people, to prepare people to kill them. So, for example, for the Tutsi in Rwanda, the people who are prepared to kill them were told that the Tutsi were cockroaches. So the hate speech that describes them as cockroaches or the Rohingya in uh, Myanmar who are described as fleas, that hate speech then prepares, uh, opens the door for all these um, things that then happen to them. There isn't in the world a recognized definition of hate speech under international law. So therefore, we suggested a working definition of hate speech at the United Nations. The Secretary General's United Nations Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech defines hate speech as any kind of communication in speech, writing or behavior that attacks or uses pejorative or discriminatory language with reference to a person or a group on the basis of who they are based on their religion, ethnicity, nationality, race, color, 
descent, gender, or other forms of identity. This is often rooted in and generates intolerance and hatred, and in certain contexts can be demeaning and divisive. Thank you for the clear definition of hate speech. And also your examples are really highlighting the importance of joining forces to combat hate speech and to prevent atrocity crimes. Since our audience mostly comes from a civil society background, may I please ask you to shed more light onto the role civil society plays in the fight against hate speech and online violence? In terms of the importance of civil society, due to this lack of an international definition for, for hate speech, uh, we have hate speech that does not reach the threshold of incitement to discrimination, hostility and violence, and for which legal standards do not exist and therefore it's difficult to handle, and therefore it remains widespread online and offline. We have quite a number of civil society organizations who are working to characterize what is hateful because it's sometimes controversial and disputed. Here at the United Nations, we advocate for relevant stakeholders, including civil society, to adopt the UN working definition. However, we do recognize that there are contexts in which hate speech is considered as a very strong partner to freedom of expression. And there's always pushback against using the term hate speech in some contexts. And therefore, civil society then comes in very strongly in terms of ensuring that they have programs um, that hold people to account. But at the same time, I would say the roles that civil society has played in contributing to monitor hate speech is that in many contexts around the world, I have a global mandate. And in many contexts around the world, we have hate speech that is expressed using local languages. For instance, in many of the wars that have been going on, you find that uh, there's quite a lot of context-specific hate speech. We rely on civil society to provide the expertise whether hate speech is being displayed online or offline through, for example, community radios. We do know that civil society um, also helps communities in raising their awareness on the dangers of hate and discrimination and promoting positive speech and the alternative narratives. And civil society works um, sometimes in collaboration with other relevant actors to address and counter his speech. And civil society, in many instances, is very well positioned to advocate with governments and other relevant actors in terms of ensuring that actions to tackle his speech are compliant with international human rights standards. So I would say that really civil society is an indispensable partner to the United Nations. Thank you. Do you have some concrete examples for us on how your office works with civil society organizations to address hate speech and to promote a positive narrative? We are working with quite a number of civil society organizations, and maybe I could just mention a few. For example, we are working with women-led civil society organizations that are active in the field of prevention of atrocity crimes and raising awareness on hate speech. In July 2022, we developed a plan of action for women in preventing atrocity crimes within communities, and it includes specific recommendations for women on addressing gender-based hate speech. We developed this plan of action with civil society. It's a new space, and that's why it was the first example that I gave, because you often don't find women involved in spaces where we are talking about prevention of genocide or war crimes or crimes against humanity. And I would say that uh, we also work quite a lot with civil society addressing online hate speech, such as through the work of civil society on enhancement of data protection regulations. Civil society also supports victims of hate speech, and they also are very big around provision of digital rights expertise to online users. 
So in country contexts that are characterized by say, poor digital literacy and strong racism, I would say that the role of civil society is even more important to address and counter online hate speech. And in places like, for example, in Bosnia, Herzegovina, in Srebrenica, where the genocide happened, and in Rwanda, where the genocide against the Tutsi happened, we work with civil society as well support their work, especially in regards to speaking to societies to avoid the attribution of collective guilt, by which I mean getting people to understand that crimes are committed by individuals. A group of people may go together during a genocide and kill many people, but at the end of the day, it is required that uh, individuals be brought to trial for what they did. So we often find that collective guilt sometimes is assigned to ethnic communities. So we, we work around ensuring that uh, when we say collective guilt, we mean we must not label ethnic communities as guilty of the crimes of an individual. And civil society has been very active in that field. Then the other thing that the civil society does is to make very meaningful moves in terms of building bridges, especially across ethnic, racial and uh, religious lines. We support all this work that civil society does in terms of embracing and not fearing difference between people. Thank you very much for highlighting the importance of civil society to be the eyes and ears for detecting hate speech and also the voice to support the awareness. I also really like your comment about building bridges. This no doubt resonates with our audience and other examples shared in this podcast series so far. As we are a podcast focusing on ICT4D themes, May I please also ask you specifically, what is your opinion on what the future holds, especially as it's getting more digitalized with regards to increasing data and AI? In October 2020, I briefed the UN Security Council on the topic of tech and social media companies and AI and hate speech. I invited these big companies, uh, Facebook, Google, Twitter, TikTok, Apple, YouTube, to brief with me. And alongside them, I also invited civil society. And civil society brought that needed spark to the conversation, like they always do. And so we've been meeting and engaging on a regular basis with these um, tech and social media companies and with civil society periodically to discuss how we can collectively do better in countering hate speech. We do know from civil society how much hate speech has proliferated online and that sometimes tech and social media companies uh, amplify this phenomenon. And we do know that civil society provides a very important avenue for individuals and communities to engage. And so there was a survey that we launched, my office, with the UN Working Group on Hate Speech to assess implementation of the UN Hate Speech Strategy. And this survey indicated that many civil society organizations are engaging with social media companies to address and counter hate speech in line with their respective mandates. But they are also engaging with predictive analysis civil society is looking at the future in terms of data, in terms of big data, in terms of artificial intelligence, that they are looking forward quite a bit. And one of the things I would say that civil society has done that brought to our attention something very important in terms specifically of how minority groups are perceived and how minority groups continue to be targets and victims of hate speech. And so when you look at the action-oriented analysis that uh, these uh, civil society groups do, we see that they are able to put together information on how groups continue to be scapegoated for challenges faced by communities or countries. And, and I would say that during the pandemic, uh, we saw quite a bit of that. 
And I would say that uh, civil society also has done quite a bit in terms of looking at dehumanization and derogatory language that is used in speeches by political leaders, among others, and focusing on the future, because our office was created after the genocide in Srebrenica and the, the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsi. So sometimes we can tend to be backward looking to see what could have been prevented then. Civil society ensures that we look forward. For example, in Iraq, I remember there was a campaign by civil society against uh, this campaign launched by Daesh and ISIL against minority groups like the Yazidi. And that was accompanied by his speech and civil society quickly brought it to our attention. The role of civil society in preventing atrocity crimes, it's emphasized in the UN strategy and plan of action on his speech, which stresses the contribution of all actors in society especially local actors. And civil society does have the capability to influence large groups of populations when they use their voice to promote non-discrimination, respect for diversity, and uh, I would say also the importance of inclusive and also societies that peacefully coexist. And I would say I'm saying all this because I've worked for many years in civil society, so I know what civil society can do, what civil society cannot do. And I consider it one of the most important things that I do in this office is to ensure that civil society partnership remains the cornerstone of all the work that we do. Thank you very much, Mrs. Nidorito. I could talk with you all day. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. For anyone wishing to learn more, please visit the website of the UN Office of the Special Advisor for the Prevention of Genocide, where you will find the UN Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech as well as a detailed guidance on the implementation of the UN Strategy and Plan of Action for the UN field presences, including recommendations to civil society actors, as well as various other relevant documents. You will find the link in the episode description. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to add? I would like to ask people, everyone, everywhere, to not fear difference. Difference is not to be feared. The difference is to be embraced because you find that so much of what drives atrocity crimes has to do with fear and people not understanding each other. Thank you. That's a very important and powerful closing remark. Again, thank you very much for joining us today. And I hope you will tune in again next week to our next podcast interview on Digital Tech for Peace. 